All right. So um, I'm just going to assume, first of all, I cannot see you. Uh, secondly, um, even when I do strain to see, most of you have a mask on, so I'm just going to imagine that you are smiling at me and uh, encouraging me. It would really help once in a while if you would say amen or uh, preach it or uh, yes or uh, good on you or something of that nature that would, uh, that would help encourage me. I like a little bit of verbal feedback. I don't mind it. Um, a little bit about the church that we started um, my wife and I really had no plans, Angie and I had no plans on starting a new church whatsoever. We were, um, uh, we were at uh, Harborview Fellowship, we were uh, uh, part of the pastoral team of uh, Harborview, and we were kind of going through COVID, and we uh, were just praying about our future. We would kind of had a little bit of a time of uh, rest, and not as... Uh, stringent ministry that we had been under for a little while, and we, we were really just praying about our next season. We, we, we knew and we felt that there was something coming. I don't know if you have ever been in that place, but you kind of sense the season is going to change when you've been walking with the Lord for some time, trying to hear His voice, trying to feel and sense uh, His direction for your life, um, trying to hear what He has for you and you've been through a few seasons of walking with him, you can kind of feel the seasons change. And I would just say that it, it felt like there was a, uh, a countdown timer in the background. And I was kind of uh, liking where I was at for many reasons, particularly because it was uh, fairly comfortable. And, um, but there was this timer just clicking in the background, and it was just... And, uh, you know, I'd get busy with different things, and I would push it to the side. But whenever I would get quiet, whenever I'd get into the presence of God, and I would just quiet myself and, and strain to hear his voice and open myself to that, I would just hear the And I just felt it was getting louder and clearer and louder and clearer as time went on. And um, it was in May, right as we were in the thick of the kind of first wave of covid that uh, and the lockdowns and everything that went with that, that uh, the Holy Spirit spoke very clearly to both me and Angie at the same time and made it very clear to us that it is time for us to step out of the boat of comfort and uh, the place of rest that we had been, which had been good for us, and to step out and to deploy and release into the earth that which God had put in us. And, um, you know, sometimes you get into a bus and uh, the bus is there to take you from one stop to the next stop. But there's also a time where you get out of the bus because if you stay on the bus too long, you miss your stop. Amen? And so we just heard that it was the time for us to get out at this stop and to uh, step out of the boat of comfort and step out onto the waters of really absolutely no guarantees. We had no idea uh, what people's response would be. We had no idea if there would be anybody that would walk with us in the road. And uh, it was just incredibly encouraging from day one as we stepped out to see God move on our behalf. And as we kind of put foot on the water and walked away from comfort and from security and with a young little family. I have three boys, ages nine, seven, and five. And, uh, you know, just at a financial level, just stepping out of a place of being taken care of with salary and so forth. 
and uh, stepping out onto the waters of having to trust God absolutely for His provision and uh, just to see God um, fulfill to me His faithfulness. And it has just confirmed to me, as he has many times, but every time it is so fresh and it is so new to my heart, how incredibly faithful he truly is. That where he calls, when we respond in obedience, and we say, yes, God, and we step out in faith, because I believe I heard Jesus call my name, Peter, come out to me, come walking on this water. And as you step out, there's no guarantee other than the word that came from his mouth. And that word is powerful and it takes care because of his love of every detail in your life. And so I am here to not in any way boast whatsoever other than in the faithfulness of God who calls and leads and guides and provides and takes care of his, his uh, sons and his daughters. Amen? Amen. And so um, we have one life to live, and uh, we don't want to live our life on the basis of convenience. We don't want to play secure. Uh, we don't want to play uh, only to uh, get by for the day, for the week, for the month, for the year. We've gotta, you've got to get what is inside of you out into the earth within the days that you have on this earth. Amen? Uh, time is a depreciating commodity, and every day that is missed is a day that we can never, ever get back. And I know you all are young, and you have no idea what I'm talking about, because right now, time is on your side. But I assure you, I prophesy to you right now, not because I'm a prophet, but because I'm 47 years old, as you get through that kind of midlife zone, you start reconsidering your life and analyzing and wondering what you're giving yourself to and wondering if that which God has placed in you is going to be able to get out properly so that once you're gone, your song is completely sung out of your heart. I don't want the song that God has put inside of me. I don't want my signature sound to be locked up in the casket with me in my grave. I want it to get out of me into the earth so that when I'm gone, it carries on because I released it in the life I had on this planet. Amen? Sometimes that's going to require some risk. Sometimes that's going to require some inconvenience. Sometimes that's going to require some radical faith. And it's definitely at times going to require getting out of the boat and walking away from security, a testing of our faith based on the faithfulness of God's Word. But I tell you what, again and again, He will come through. And He is more interested in getting what He has put into you and into me out into the earth than what we are regarding fulfilling our destinies. Amen? And so we stepped out. Uh, we are a uh, Bible-based, spirit-filled church. Um, I would say the one thing that um, for us is a core value, and I don't have much time because I need to get to Philippians, and it's already 8 o'clock, 8.01 in fact. And, um, but I would just say we believe in full throttle. Uh, we believe that Jesus deserves full throttle worship. Amen? Uh, we believe that uh, our lives should be lived full throttle for Jesus. We believe our service should be full throttle. We believe His Word should be um, uh, should take central uh, dominance in our lives, and that uh, He calls us. He gave Himself 
to us with absolutely no reserve. And I believe that we, the church, are called to give ourselves back to God in worship and in service in the earth, which is an act of worship, full throttle with no reserve. And so, um, and so that's what Anthem Church wants to be, desires to be. Um, Anthem, of course, is a, is a declaration of worship and exaltation. Uh, we want to be a people of worship. We love extended periods of worship. We love free worship, spontaneous worship, uh, in, uh, uh, new inspired songs coming through in worship. And then uh, we are a presence-centered people. We want the presence of God. We don't want to show up with a prescription of a box that God needs to fit into our time. But we really, at the end of the day, are wanting to come with our hearts open and say, God, come. We want to experience and encounter intimacy with you. Come and inhabit our worship. Minister to our hearts. Impact us. Encounter us. Change our lives. When I was 12 years old, um, I, I gave my life to Jesus, and a deep hunger for God began to grow inside of me. When I was 14 years old, I had a tangible experience of the presence of God that was supernatural natural that marked my life. And from that day on, my pursuit has been the supernatural manifestation of the presence of God in my life and in the church. And so we are not wanting to build church for the comfort and the convenience and the security of those who are already previously relig religiously conditioned, but we want to build church for the presence of God so that he can come and have his way and people can encounter him in tangible supernatural power. I believe that Jesus started the church the way that he intended it, and when he comes forward, he intends for it to be the way that he started it. And what we see in the early church is the supernatural presence and power of God working with signs and wonders and miracles happening so that the people were in awe of the awesome, fearful, powerful presence of our supernatural God. Amen? So if you have not yet found Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12, you're not going to find it tonight, so I'll read it for you. So Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12 says, Therefore, my friends, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. That's what Allison was saying just a few moments ago. Do everything without complaining and arguing. This is a text for my three boys, I'll tell you what. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. So that you too, uh, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. 
I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see him, as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, a great name for your kids one day, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who's also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Wow. Man, Michael, 13 minutes. I don't know how we're going to do this. All right. So um, the first thing that I want to just touch, uh, touch on here is that whenever a text, whenever a paragraph or a pericope in Scripture starts with the word therefore, uh, it's, a, it's an indicator for us that we need to ask ourselves what the therefore is therefore. And so the word therefore is a reference to that which has just gone before, and what has just gone before is whatever was taught on last week when you guys got together and dealt with Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through to 11. Now, I don't want to go back and re-preach it all. I don't have time for it anyway. But just to remind you that Paul there is saying that our attitude in this life, our attitude as believers is to be the same as that of Christ Jesus. In other words, he is saying, we need to line up with the example, the role model of Jesus, in particular, the way Jesus conducted himself and the character traits that he exemplified when he came down from heaven to earth, took on human form, humbled himself, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so then we know, therefore, God exalted him to the, to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every other the name but the point is Paul is saying in the previous text he's saying you and I as believers are called to follow the example of Jesus who humbled himself submitted himself and became obedient to the point of death in other words can I say the filthy dirty word in our culture today self-sacrificial obedience God is good. God is good all the time. God is loving. He is love. He is absolutely loving. God is gracious. Our salvation is entirely by grace. I 100% uh, underline, uh, highlight, bold, and affirm everything that Allison said. We are not saved in any way by anything that we do. We are saved by the sufficiency of the work that Jesus already did for us on the cross. Amen. He gave himself in self-sacrifice, in, in self denial in humility in obedience to death he gave himself and in so doing procured salvation for us however 
our response to the salvation he procured for us is to reflect his self-sacrifice and to say, yes, Jesus, as you sacrificed yourself for me, I now, in response, sacrifice my will and give myself in humble obedience and submission and surrender to your lordship. And I pursue a life of what you exemplified, self-sacrificial, self-denying obedience to God. And so in some of the Western world, there are rampant doctrines of grace. And, uh, you know, it's like a distortion mirror. If you've ever seen those distortion mirrors, when you stand in front of a distortion mirror, you do see an actual reflection of yourself. It is yourself that you see in the mirror. It's just, it's just that the different components of your body are out of proportion to each other, and they are not a true proportionate reflection of what they actually look like in your you might want to turn it down a little bit. Because <laughs> I, 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 I can't turn myself down. You've got to turn me down, okay? So, um, so, so when you look in that distortion mirror, you do see yourself. You do see your own legs. You see your own waistline. You see your own butt. You see your own midriff. You see your own chest. You see your own shoulders and head. Except in the distortion mirror, your head may be magnified in proportion to your neck and your shoulders and your midriff is typically, you know, heavily, um, heavily magnified, and then your legs are again, uh, you know, reduced and minimized in proportion to the rest of your physique. And so you look in the distortion mirror, and it is truth that you see, but out of proportion. And in our Western culture, what we have today is rampant doctrines of distortion that take truths such as love and grace and just simply expand them out of proportion and then minimize these horrible truths that people in our Western self-entitled cultures don't want to swallow because we want our churches to be big. And so we don't talk about self-sacrificial obedience and surrender of our will in response to the Lordship of Jesus. I mean, you know, when Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you do not do what I say? You know, he was talking to real people. That tells us that there's a lot of real people, real Christians, in our very real churches that call him Lord, sing to him as Lord, but the reality his Lordship has no bear on the decisions they make and how they conduct themselves in life. And so, last week I should have dropped a penny on that in that we are called to reflect the self-sacrificial obedience and the attitude that Jesus expressed when he went to the cross. And so as we pick it up in verse 12, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Uh, you know, the, 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 the sign, the metric of successful discipleship is not if you can make people obey when you are there to watch over them. It is whether or not the people are still living on the basis of the truth that were deposited into them by revelation after you are long gone. Because after you're long gone as a spiritual leader, I ask myself that question. Um, 
Uh, after I am long gone, have I deposited something into the people who've been under my leadership, who've been under my, my discipleship, who've been under my ministry? Have I deposited something into them that they will continue to run with even after I'm not there anymore? Because if I need to be there in order to uh, mold their behavior, it is not Holy Spirit inspired. It is not behavior by conformity. It's not behavior by control. It's not behavior based on fear or strong leadership or intimidation or the fear of shame. But it is, it is depositing truth that by the Holy Spirit's breath becomes revelation to their hearts so that it becomes a conviction laden in them so that that thing begins to control their behavior and their lives and they may forget where they come from but because it's inside of them now by God. Paul is saying to the Philippians here, he says, you've always obeyed, you've been a great people, you've been responsive to the word of God. What a great combination to the Philippian church. And he says, you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, not only when I was there where you knew that perhaps I might notice if you don't, but he says, even in my absence, you carry on living the life. You carry on giving yourself. You carry on obeying and sacrificing and serving and doing and living by those convictions. Even after I'm gone, that is a sign that is on the basis of the Lordship of Jesus, not on the basis of human leadership. Amen. He says, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to willing to act His good purpose. And so Alison referred to that uh, this evening as she shared her testimony. But um, Jesus procured salvation for us. But I want to break it down real quick. Because salvation is much bigger than a fire insurance ticket you put in your top pocket by receiving Jesus as Savior. Amen. First of all, I'm just going to throw this out because it is what it is. And you never know who's out there. But did you know that you cannot have Jesus as your Savior without having Him as your Lord? If Jesus is not your Lord, He is not your Savior. I have literally heard it preached that it is possible for you to come out and receive Jesus as your Savior today with no demand for change on your life. And as you receive Jesus as your Savior, maybe one day down the road, 10 years from receiving Him as your Savior, a missionary from Africa might show up and the lights will be dim and they'll preach a startling message that'll shake you up and just you know, play on your heartstrings just the right way. And then one day, maybe, if you get to that place ever, you'll receive Jesus as your Lord on top of Him already having been your Savior. Well, I want to say to you uh, tonight that there is no Savior without Him being Lord. He is Lord first. And the salvation that He gives us, the salvation that He offers us is on His terms. And His term is surrender to His Lordship, which involves repentance from our former life, which involves trusting that what He did for us on the cross was sufficient to atone for the sins of our lives. Amen. And besides, the missionary from Africa is here tonight. The lights have been... 
and I'm preaching a heart-stirring message, am I not? And so tonight, if you have not yet received Jesus as your Lord, let it not go one more day. Today, I will need confess your time. Make him your Lord. I want to say that as we introduced into the salvation of God that Jesus procured for us, there is a past tense salvation. There is a present tense aspect of that salvation. And there is a future tense aspect of the salvation that Jesus procured for us. The past tense salvation we call justification. That's the moment we receive Him, our sins are forgiven. The present tense salvation we are working through at this time is called sanctification. And the future tense salvation, the final outworking of it, is glorification. The past tense justification deals with our spirit because our spirit is instantly regenerated. It says we are born again. We are spiritually raised from the dead. Our spirit man was dead, but now we are alive again. However, our soul is still being sanctified because we have old ways of thinking. We have old attitudes. We have old mindsets. We have old identifications and behaviors that are controlled by that which is within our soul. And that which God has done in our spirit is seeking to burst out through the hindrances of our soul. And so our soul, our mind needs to be renewed so that we bring our soul into alignment with the truth of God's Word in every arena. Amen. Our body is our future tense salvation because we will be physically raised from the dead and go into the eternal state of the redeemed with a glorified body. And so we have regeneration, we have renewal, and we have resurrection. And our attitude towards our past tense salvation should be gratitude. Our attitude towards our future tense salvation should be longing. But here in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, our attitude towards our present tense salvation, the renewing of the soul, should be one of constant submission, surrender, and obedience to Jesus in every area of our lives. So, Jesus procured absolute and total salvation when He died for us on the cross. But, and He did it through His self-sacrificial obedience. However, that salvation that He provided for us is only going to be at work in us and through us out into the earth as we respond to His salvation with self-sacrificial submission and obedience as we receive His Lordship in our lives and live that out in service. Jesus provided salvation through His self-sacrificial obedience. We outwork His salvation through self-sacrificial obedience. The invasion of God into our spirits at the point of our justification and regeneration is pushing against our unrenewed souls by the power of the Holy Spirit, seeking to remove the obstacles of its expression through us. God is working in us to, so that He can manifest His presence through us. And that is what this is talking about. There's a cooperation within the salvation process for the believer. 
as our souls are being renewed. Let me say it this way. When we received salvation, the moment you received Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, there was a deposit of kingdom presence and power and privilege that was given to you in the spiritual realm. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. He speaks in Ephesians 1 also about the glorious inheritance that is ours as the saints. So what is Paul speaking about? Paul is basically saying, he's saying that glorious inheritance, the glorious salvation we receive with all of its power and all of its privilege and all of its promise, which was completely procured by what Jesus has already done for us. It is ours covenantally. Sanctification is taking that which God has given us and unpacking it from potential into manifested reality during our life on earth. Spiritual maturity is not how much scripture you can quote. Spiritual maturity is not how long you've been a Christian. It has nothing to do with that. Spiritual maturity is how much of the salvation that God has given to you and me can we unpack into manifest reality in our actual lives before we die. That's the grace we're talking about. I'm excited about it. Can I take a little bit of two more minutes? Somebody. Okay. Just two more minutes because I had such revelation. If I didn't if I go home tonight and I don't get this out of me, I'm gonna be so frustrated all night long and have a sleepless night, and I know none of you want that to happen for me, right? Alright, so, I'm just, um, in the Old Testament, uh, there's a scripture, and it says, this is what you are to offer on the altar regularly each day. Every day, offer this on the altar. Two lambs a year old. Offer one in the morning, and the other at twilight, in the morning, in the evening. With the first lamb, offer a tenth of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with a quarter of hen of oil, from pressed olives and a quarter of a hin of wine as a, can you all say it, drink offering. Okay, can you all say it? Drink offering. <laughs> and then it says, sacrifice the other lamb at twilight with the same grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning. A pleasing aroma, a food offering presented to the Lord. Now Paul picks that up and he says there, do everything without complaining and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. Verse 17, he says, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you so that you too should be glad and rejoice with me. What is the point? Jesus was the lamb offering that procures our salvation. But our self-sacrificial, obedient response that says, I will pour out my life in obedient service to you so that the salvation you procured can advance in the earth through my life. That is the dream of Paul He says, my life is being poured out as the dream of Now let's be very clear. There's nothing we can do 
to get any more saved than what we already got when we received Jesus. Amen. But let me tell you, there's a whole lot we can do to get a whole lot more people saved. That's the dream. I believe the church in our day and age, in our culture, in our region, I believe there is a challenge. God says, I provided the lamb for you. I provided the lamb offering that procured your salvation. Will you provide the drink offering that unleashes that And then finally, again, just like it's Paul gives three examples it's himself, it's Timothy, it's Epaphras. Each one of them is living out the drink offering. Paul says, I poured myself and you know him. Timothy, he says, I have no one else like him. Because he takes a genuine interest in your welfare. He's not out for personal gain. He died to himself. He's amazing. And Epaphras, he risked his life. To the And I believe that our God is calling the church in our day and age to get back to the drink offering. Yes, we celebrate with gratitude the salvation Jesus became. But let us carry it forward by saying, Jesus, here's my life. I'll give it to you. I'll pour it out every last ounce so that the salvation you can hear in advance and you through life.